Amanda Hess is here with us to read the scripture this morning. The Christian year begins and ends at this time of year. The last thing that's part of the Christian year is a celebration of Christ as king, an authority, a ruler in our lives and in our hearts. And the first thing of the, Christ, of the Christian year is the celebration of Advent and the season of preparation and waiting to celebrate the birth of the Christ child. And the scripture passage celebrates both in one. So let's hear these words from Isaiah. A reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2 and 6 and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch-dark land, light has dawned. A child is born to us, a son is given, and authority will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing it and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of heavenly forces will do this. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Holy and gracious God, we've heard a lot of scripture this morning. Our hearts are ready to think about Advent, even though our fridges may be still full of Thanksgiving leftovers. And so we pray that you'd help us turn our focus in this moment to you, that the words of my heart would be acceptable to you and that the meditations on all of our minds would be pleasing because you're our rock and our redeemer. We pray in your name, amen. Right now, my life is controlled by a five-month-old. <laughs> Many of you know that my husband and I have been on a really long journey to become parents, and we experienced recurrent miscarriages and a long number of years of waiting to have our family. And in June this year, we got a phone call about a baby girl who is our daughter, Maxine. And we are still waiting on a court date to finalize her adoption, but we have permanent placement. And for those of you who are wondering, she is with her dad at his church this morning, so you can't go see her in the nursery, one of the perils of having two pastors as parents. But she is wonderful. And five months is an awesome age with Maxine because she knows how to smile, she knows how to laugh, she knows how to reach for things and to interact with people. She's super social, so every Thanksgiving gathering, and we went to several that she was at, she just wanted to be with people. In fact, she started crying if you picked her up and took her out of the room and she was just with one of her parents, she would start weeping. And then you'd bring her back in the room and she'd start smiling. She loves people, so it's a super fun age. She's not quite old enough yet to intentionally manipulate us into doing what she wants us to do. I know that'll come later, but she's not there yet. She can't speak to tell us specific demands that she has. She can't run away. She can't crawl away. She can't even uh, throw herself on the ground and throw a temper tantrum in the way that older kids often do. But nevertheless, our lives are controlled by this tiny, beautiful baby. Because when she wakes up in the middle of the night, we wake up in the middle of the night. And when she is crying because she's hungry, we run to make her a bottle as soon as we possibly can. And if she is sleepy, man, you know we're running to the crib as quick as we can to get her down for a nap because things are only gonna escalate the more tired that she gets. And when she smiles, we can't help but smile back 
even when it's four o'clock in the morning and we know if we don't make eye contact, she might go back to sleep more quickly. If she's smiling, you can't help but smile back. Well, this is a time of year when we spend a lot of time talking about babies, and in particular, one baby, the holy child, Jesus, born in a manger, living in a stable in his early years in Bethlehem, descended from the great King David, child of Mary and Joseph, but also the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, born to fulfill hopes and promises and dreams. We spend a lot of time talking about this baby this time of year. And the scripture that we read this morning is a prophecy that speaks of this holy child who's born to us collectively as a people, a son who will become the many things listed in verse 6 and 7. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be a vast authority and endless peace for David's kingdom. This child will bring justice and righteousness. This is all future stuff. Even though the child is here, he's not yet fully fulfilling all the promises because he's got a lot of growing to do yet. Just like my Maxine is not yet all that she will be, even though now is a perfectly wonderful moment. And as Christians, as we read this passage from Isaiah, we read it as a foretelling of the Messiah, we say, hey, this is pointing to Jesus Christ. And it describes somebody who's mighty, a prince with a kingdom, one who holds authority. Other places in scripture, like in Revelation, Christ is described as a king, a lord of lords, one who sits on an impressive throne and rules and judges forever. This is intimidating imagery that we're given to describe Jesus, who's born as a baby. And if we're being honest... Most of us are a little bit more comfortable with the image of a baby than we are with an intimidating king sitting on a throne. Well, to start with, most of us don't really like king language, which makes sense. It's not very accessible to our time and place. I mean, this nation was built on the premise that we don't like monarchs. We overthrew the monarch system so that we could have democracy here in America. That's who we are as a people. And so perhaps it's not surprising that some of us this time of year find ourselves a little bit unwilling to engage with some of these passages that point to Christ as a king, a ruler, a monarch. Passages like Isaiah that say Jesus is a prince, or Revelation, he's a king of kings. Some of that imagery feels a little bit uncomfortable to us. And it's not just the politics of monarchy versus democracy and what kind of rule are you going to have in your country. The truth is most of us don't really like the idea that somebody's going to have control of our lives. We don't really like the idea that somebody else is going to tell us what to do or how to think or what we're going to do on any level. We like to think of ourselves as free agents most of the time. At least I do. And yet the truth is, like me talking about Maxine, all of us have things that really do control our lives in some way or another, that dictate how we use our time, how we use our finances, how we use our mental energy that we have. On some level, we are all controlled by something beyond ourselves. In the words of the great Bob Dylan, you're going to have to serve somebody. And right now, I'm serving baby Maxine, and I am serving her applesauce, and I'm serving her bottles and clean diapers. And you know what? I love every minute of it because I love her. And that's really the root of service, I think, is you love someone or you love something, and that's why you serve them. That's why 
you do what you do for them. Hopefully, our love for Christ is that way, too, leading us to service. But more often than not, we end up serving things without quite realizing it. And we all know there are simply things that we have to do to get through life. And maybe it's going to work, maybe it's paying the bills, it doesn't matter what it is. There are things that we have to do. But if we're not intentional, if we're not thoughtful, if we're not making choices in how we're spending our time and our money, how we're letting outside forces control us, then really quickly we can become controlled by other things that we don't mean to. We're just not thinking about it. Things like fear, addiction, grief, greed, you name it. We're not setting out to do this, you understand. It's just if we're not being intentional, other things will step in and guide us to act in a certain way. That's the way of life. It matters what we do and how we do it. It matters that we're intentionally choosing each day who we're going to let have power in our lives. Whether it's a loved one, whether it's a situation, a passion, a hobby, a career, or hopefully, at the foundation of it all, Christ as well. What we do matters, and how we do it matters. It makes a difference that we're seeking to choose Christ, that we're intentionally choosing to let Christ control how we view the world. So I want to tell you a story. Some of you are familiar with a mission project that we support here. It's called Mobility Worldwide, previously called Personal Energy Transport, or PET. It was started in 1994 with a missionary to Zaire, which is now called Congo. And he saw that some people couldn't get around very well over in this place where there weren't paved roads and there weren't sidewalks and it was mostly mud and rock and very difficult for people who had polio or who had survived landmines or who for any reason could not use their legs. And so this missionary is talking to his friend, Mel West, who's a pastor over in the United States, and he says, man, we gotta do something for these people. We've gotta make a difference. We need to, how can we help them get around? And Mel, this pastor, he could have just said, yeah, you know, that's, that's a tough problem. I don't quite know what to do about that, but you're right, some, someone should do something. But instead, Mel said, you know what? Well, I think I can do something. He was a woodworker. He knew how to use tools, and he put together this prototype of this thing called a personal energy transport that was made out of wood that had really sturdy rubber wheels, and he sent it over to his friend in Zaire who tested it out on the worst possible surfaces that he could, and it turns out it worked. You could move somebody from one place to another with this pet, as they called it, personal energy transport. Because conventional wheelchairs, they wouldn't have cut it. Those little narrow wheels that you see on those wheelchairs, they would not have made it over in Congo. But this device that he made, that Mel West made, that made a difference. So he started making more. And word got around. People saw these devices and they said, hey, I want one. And countries miles away from Congo, people started requesting these devices to say, hey, we could use some of those. We've got people who need to get from one place to another who don't have any other way to do it. They don't have a way to get themselves food. They don't have a way to make a living. This could change their lives. And Mel, again, he could have said, you know what, that's a really big order. I am just one man. I can't handle that kind of job. But instead, what he did is he said, I'm going to figure out a way for other people to make these things too. And so he made a blueprint that anybody with the right skills could follow, and he sent it out, and people started making these things. Mel, it wasn't just what Mel did, it's how he did it. He was excited enough about this project done 
for the sake of Christ to transform lives that he got other people excited about a project. And people started to catch the vision and now there are places all across the United States where you can make these carts and ship them over to countries where they're needed and people's lives are literally changed from begging to be able, being able to sustain their own livelihood. And you all know that people here have caught this vision. I see Dave and Eileen Kaufman sitting right there halfway back, and there's others of you who I know are dedicated workers with mobility worldwide. It's all because one person said, hey, there's a problem, and another person said, I think I can do something about that problem. I think I can serve Christ in this way, in this moment in time. There's also another gentleman over at the Goodrich Church who probably would not want me to, you know, make a big deal about him, but Ed Knoll was his name, and he owned a workshop in his own home that he opened to people here in this community to say, hey, this is really important, I want to make this happen. So along with Dave and Eileen and others who are committed to this project, this one man here in Goodrich, well, Hadley, said, hey, we're going to do this thing, and we've shipped out a thousand, more than that, carts from this Location here in southeast Michigan, more than a thousand lives changed because of service to Christ. And Ed has a poster on his workshop, or he did until, uh, until recently, that said, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Famous quote from the Methodist tradition. And Ed Knoll, that, that particular gentleman, he no longer is able to make carts. He can't serve Christ in that capacity at this point in his life. But he still mails out inspirational, devotional messages to people. I don't, you've probably gotten one in the mail. I know that uh, Joel and I have. He's chosen to serve Christ in whatever capacity he has, the same way Mel did, the same way so many of you do. Whatever you've got, you can give something to the service of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we choose that life. We choose to let Christ guide what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. We choose to live deliberately in love, serving Jesus and the church. And it might mean putting together carts to ship to people across the world. It might mean signing up to attend Advent night. It might mean signing up to bake some cookies. Pat Edwards would be glad to receive them. It might mean bell ringing. It might mean leading a study. It might mean singing in the choir. There's all kinds of ways to serve Christ. It doesn't have to look the same for each person. But we choose that life. We choose deliberately to serve Jesus Christ however we can, wherever we are, with whatever we've got to offer. You know, it's countercultural to say that we're going to serve anybody other than ourselves. If you go out there into the world and you speak to the secular world about serving Christ, people are going to be like, eh, that's, that's nice, but confusing. And yet we know that Christ is not like any king or ruler or authority that the world has ever known. Even this passage from Isaiah that Amanda read for us this morning points to the fact that Jesus turns things on their heads. Jesus is not who we expect him to be. Righteousness and justice are a priority for this king. His kingdom's going to be one of endless peace. This is different than the kind of authority that the world offers. And a close reading of scripture reveals that Jesus is often described in unexpected ways. He's often portrayed as vulnerable, despite his power and his authority. 
If you look at Revelation, alongside images of Christ as a king on a throne being worshipped, you've also got images of Christ as very vulnerable. And at one point, the prophet in Revelation says, Behold the Lion of Judah! And he turns around, and it's a little lamb. It speaks to this twofold imagery, this twofold identity of Jesus Christ. Great power, great vulnerability. Our Savior is powerful, but not in the ways that the world expects, because his power is in his vulnerability. And that's true for us, too, as we seek to serve him. And if you look at Christ, he has this vulnerability that leads him to love without restriction. A vulnerability that leads Jesus to include those who are left on the margins, who might not otherwise be included. A vulnerability that ultimately leads him to the cross, to sacrifice, to offering himself out of love. You know, God said, I really want to shake things up in this world. I want to turn things on their head. I want to set things right. And I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to send a son, a king, a ruler, a messiah, the Christ. He's going to be wonderful. Let's start him off as a baby. God had the power to send a fully formed adult among us to teach us and guide us and rule us. And it could have looked like some of those passages from Revelation, somebody standing on a throne in an impressive posture. But he was born as an infant. He was born as the most vulnerable among us. Because the truth is, whether you're a king or you're living on the street, whether you are the most high-powered business person or you have no career to speak of, we all went through a stage where we couldn't hold our own head up just went through that with Maxine. That's a very vulnerable place to be. Each one of us to survive infancy needed other people to nurture us and to care for us. And God came to us in that kind of form, that vulnerable, fragile form, hoping that people would love and nurture him until he became old enough to teach and to preach and to heal. Babies are so full of possibility and joy and mystery, but they're also so full of fragility and vulnerability. Right now, my world and my husband's world revolves around a baby, Maxine. And our world is controlled by her needs because she can't make it any other way. She can hold up her own head now, but she can't feed herself. She can't change her own diaper. She can't get cuddles for herself when she needs love. I mean, that's, that's on us as her parents. That's what we're expected to provide. I imagine you also have things in your life that control what you do and how you do it. Maybe you have your own Maxine. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's some other passion that's really close to your heart. Something that you're overjoyed to let control your schedule and your your energy. I hope, too, that in the midst of all those other things, we all have a foundation of Christ commitment to serve him. Alongside all those other things that we're serving, Christ is the foundation. That powerful yet vulnerable king who invites us to service, who invites us to see the world differently, who invites us, in fact, to come to a table where we remember how great he is and how great a sacrifice he offered us. True power 
comes in the midst of vulnerability. In a moment, we'll have the chance to come to this table and receive for ourselves this means of grace. We'll have a moment to recommit ourselves to serve Christ. And I don't know if that means you'll leave this place and you'll say, hey, Jim Deegan, I need a bell ringing slot. Or it means you'll leave this place and you'll say, you know what, I, I want to open my Bible up and read some passages I haven't read for a while. Maybe it means you'll leave this place and it'll change your perspective. Christ will change your perspective of how you're interacting with the people that you meet this next week. I don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to move, but this is a moment when we come together in worship that we recommit and we say, yes, I do want to serve Christ. And I know it's going to look different for me than it'll look for my neighbor, but once again, I commit to this life, this life of love, this life of following Jesus. So let's come to the table this morning. Let's come to the table and encounter Jesus. He'll meet us wherever we are. Let's come to the table. May it be so. Amen.